The room is relationships. The room is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? The room is different cookie cutter、mm-hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh hi, Mark. Oh hi, Allison. Oh hi, Rob. Oh hi, listeners. We're here to talk about minute thirty-nine of the room, the greatest scene in all of cinematic history. But or the beginning. That is not an understatement. Oh hi, Brian. Hi, Rob. Now, before we get to the scene, I have something to read to you. It's a dear Amy letter from 2015. Uh, I have a serious problem with my future wife. She has not been faithful. I overheard her talking to her friend about it. When I confronted her, all she said was she couldn't talk right now. I feel like I have to record everything in my own house just to learn the truth. To make things even more stressful is the fact that she recently told a couple of people that I hit her, but it's not true. I'm not sure why she has been acting like this. She did just find out her mother has breast cancer, and that might be playing a role in her behavior. We still always find time to make love, so I don't know why she would go out seeking it from someone else. I just can't believe she would do this to me. I love her so much; she is my everything, and I don't know that I could go on without her. What should I do? Now, Amy responds. The first thing you should do is not get married. Your fiance's behavior and your response are the very essence of dysfunction. If you are correct and she is stepping out on you, this is a huge problem. Your declaration that you feel like you have to record everything just to learn the truth is chilling. Her counter accusation that you hit her is potentially very dangerous for you, because of an escalation in behavior I sense in both of you and the seemingly toxic connection between you two. It would be wisest for you to seek the support of close friends and a professional counselor to help with this loss and change. This was actually published, oh. but later online, <laughs> Amy. Later online, Amy adds, "I don't really have any way of foolproofing the queries sent into me, and so I treat most of them as if they are serious or at least genuine." This week, I got pranked when I chose to answer a question whose plot is closely based on the cult movie The Room. Ironically, I am a movie fiend, but because I am not a drunk college student, I had not seen The Room. <laughs> is this real? Yes. I only knew it as very possibly the worst movie ever made, and so it is with a strange mixture of pride and embarrassment that I share this elegant prank with you now. Of course, I stand by my advice. I only wish I had better fictional characters to offer it to. If <laughs> <laughs> they advise Stancia, they, they should not be getting married. Yes. Oh hi, Sean. Oh, oh hi, Robert. <laughs> yeah, I think not necessarily never ever, but. They at least need to work out some things. They've been together for five slash seven years <laughs> at this point. I think they should just give up. But no,、uh, never mind. Lisa and Johnny are perfect for one another. <laughs> He gives her gifts. She is completely happy. It's a healthy relationship, and they're fine. This this is not what a healthy relationship looks like. Wait, it isn't. <laughs> it is. I don't. I don't, know. Yeah, it exactly what my relationship is like. Are you saying it's not healthy? I think that's what Sean is saying. Yes. Oh, I don't know. I have some things、oh, I need、Eric. to go to. Oh, hi, Eric. I I, I measure my relationships、um, by candle power, 
And this is, you know, Johnny and Lisa just have happily ever after in, in bright lights. Because there's so many candles, right? Good. I have thousands of candles, so we're good. And when she calls Mark, it's just three candles. Exactly. And it's actually one candle with three wicks. It's one so candle it's, with three just, wicks, so. It's just sadly pretending to be something it's not. There you go. That's the, the, the symbolism of the room is all in the camera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the audience at midnight screenings do always note when there's fire on screen. I think they might be onto something. <laughs> yes. should, should the name of the movie actually have been The Candle in the Room? <laughs> that have been more interesting of a title than just yeah. The Room? That everyone kind of wonders why it's called that. <laughs> the candle becomes the star. Yeah. The candles are the star. Have you the seen the sex scenes? already the star. Now, this minute, and it starts with the very last bit of the scene on of Lisa talking to Mark. Uh, we get her saying bye, and he hangs up. Does he really hang up, though? <laughs> you just see his, his arm moving down with the phone in it. Well, it's a cordless. He could have just... Does, wait, does he push a button? <laughs> no, I'm not sure. You're going to listen to me go to sleep now, Lisa. <laughs> He could okay. push a button once it's out of the screen. Yeah. I, I Or it, his phone is programmed so that when he angrily moves it quickly, it just hangs Because <laughs> he does this a lot. And we cut to the scene that, even if you haven't seen The Room, you've probably seen this scene. This is where the behind-the-scenes stuff gets a little weird. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is where it happens. Oh, <laughs> this is where. So, oh, this is the scene where it gets. This a is where little quote unquote. Well, weird. it's all about the water bottle. You see, uh, mm-hmm. this is one of my pieces of evidence that the uh, air quotes original script is not real is because it mentions the water bottle in his hand. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. However, in Sandy Shaclair's book, he basically suggests that after like three takes. He's the one who suggested Johnny take a water bottle and to throw. In Greg Sestero's book and in the Disaster Artist film, it is Greg Sestero who gives him the water bottle to throw. So there are differing accounts, so I think I want to side with the original script because it's more fun that way. <laughs> now, this scene notably took, according to Sestero, three hours to film, 32 takes, uh, many of which involved uh, Tommy hitting his head on the top of the doorframe. <laughs> Several of which involved Tommy not hitting his head, but then not being able to remember his lines as he navigates down the two steps. When you hit your head that many times. Yes. They were actually quite worried about him at one point, because he kept hitting his head. Uh, it was only the second day of filming, and the actual shot only lasts seven seconds. They had already filmed the rest of the scene. They saved him coming out mm-hmm. of the doorway the end and Cicero says it took 30 minutes of takes before Wiseau could even get down the stairs without looking at his feet <laughs> and I'll have more behind the scenes as we get to it but first this scene Johnny of course says the most famous line uh, we could attempt to synchronize us saying it but I don't know how that would go on a podcast recording um, oh it would go <laughs> wonderfully we should try <laughs> are we ready <laughs> On three. Wait, on three? After three. On, I can't do, I can't do synchronized stuff. It's not right. We, we're starting with, I did not hit her. It's not yes. true. Yes. Don't work for, okay. <clears throat> okay. On three. One, two, three. I 
Did I not, did not. <laughs> not, <laughs> not true. Not true. <laughs> it's, it's bullshit. bullshit. I did, I not, did hit not hit her. I did I not. Did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. See, now in editing, that's going to be perfect. That's flawless. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I will synchronize the crap out of it. <laughs> I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Johnny, of course, throws a water bottle down before he says, oh, hi, Mark. And scene continues after the brilliance of that moment. Uh, with Mark and Johnny talking about uh, Lisa having accused him of hitting her. And I love that Mark's initial response is, well, did you? (laughs) 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 Dude, what do you think of your best friend? (laughs) He literally just came out shouting that he did not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just said twice, you know, three times, he did not do it. It's not true. It's bullshit. The thing there is, is that he, you know, Tommy's come, Tommy Johnny's coming out. He doesn't know he's he could be heard. He doesn't think he can be heard. Therefore, he can't be heard. True. true. So it's only when he says, "Oh, I'm," he realizes Mark's there. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> he doesn't have object permanence yet. So right. Exactly. Oh, okay. Oh. He didn't see Mark while he was speaking, so then Mark could not have heard him. Well, later in the film, you know, spoilers. He will decide to record Lisa having a conversation after he already knows and has heard her saying she's cheating on him. I don't know why he needs evidence at that point, because the evidence is just for himself. At, at the very least, to, to find out who it is? Maybe. It could be, yeah. He just wants and to that, confirm it who has it to is. hold up in court? Yeah. He wants the proof that he can confront her with. Or he has a problem with... Not just object permanence, but life permanence. <laughs> it's like, until he sees Mark sitting there, Mark doesn't exist. That's why everyone has to constantly remind everyone in his life who they are. Yeah. Mark's his yeah. best friend, Lisa's his future wife. We're your friends. Yeah. Other, otherwise, he'd just be like, who are you people? <laughs> he's not reminding them, he's reminding himself. Mm-hmm. Short-term memory loss. Like the birthday party, like you... You invited all my friends. Good thinking. It's like, in that moment, he recognized them. He's like, that is a good idea. Bring these people (laughs) I know together (laughs) to celebrate something. He doesn't know what. Right. Now, does Mark want Johnny to hit Lisa? Is this, you know, is he kind of hoping that this is going to happen? Well, because after, so we already said that. So after the multiple denials from from Johnny, yeah. then Mark is going to ask him, well, did you? Well, did you? And then he tells the story about a woman getting beat up because mm-hmm. she was cheating. Right. I mean, there's a separate issue of Johnny's reaction to that story, but like, so why why tell that story to someone who is claiming to be falsely accused? Well, in, instead of him thinking that he did hit her or wanting him to, maybe he's fishing, like, did you hit her? And if so, is it because you found out that we hadn't, like, she mm. and I had sex. Mm-hmm. Like, it's his cop instincts jumping mm. in. Oh, there you go. He's cop fishing, but he doesn't want to be specific just in case he's wrong. Yeah. It was a sixth, maybe even a seventh sense. He's even setting it up with, like, you think girls like to cheat like guys do. You think girls like to cheat like guys do? If Johnny immediately says, well, of course they do, then he knows, okay, he knows something about Lisa. But he doesn't, so Mark has to keep going. Um, it was a test. 
It was also a test for Tommy Rousseau, actually, because the original line is just that uh, the girl that got beat up uh, was beat up so bad that she ended up in a hospital. It wasn't specific. But Rousseau was having a problem with the scene and kept laughing after that line, and so just trying to kind of <laughs> fuck with him, Greg Sestero says Guerrero Street because that is where Tommy's condo was at the time. And Tommy didn't even want the crew and everyone working on the movie to know he lived in San Francisco, let alone his specific address or where it would be. And he was very paranoid. Afterward, uh, Cicero says, Tommy uh, dragooned me into a quiet place away from the crew. Are you insane completely, he said. His eyes were all dancing panic. You must be crazy in the head. Now we can't erase this information from 35mm film. <laughs> <laughs> But you could, he could erase it from the digital, film, the <laughs> yeah, digital but, camera. Right. Yeah. You got it on the, you erase it from the digital, but you got to keep it on the film. And so now everyone's going to know where he lives. Yeah. But could he erase it from the crew's memories? I hope, I, I assume they were yeah. forgetting everything in this film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I assume working on this set, you went home and you drank heavily. You <laughs> <laughs> wanted to erase all the memories. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. But that is so that the Johnny's reaction is very strange, I would uh-huh. say. That he he laughs at this. He's ha ha ha, what a story, Mark. Yes. That woman getting beat up and put in the hospital. What a story indeed. The the only take where he didn't laugh, he had no inflection whatsoever, and it just felt like he wasn't human. And the best take they had of Mark (laughs) is where he mentions Guerrero Street, and so they they get that one in the movie. Mm -hmm. But Tommy's is just, all they had was him laughing at a woman being beaten up and sent to the hospital, which is strange. Uh, It was a different time then, I guess. (laughs) I mean, no one's going to see this, so what does it matter? <laughs> no one will be discussing this one minute at a time. And... This is, no, I, in Tommy's head, this was going to be the greatest, this is going to be like the cinematic equivalent of, uh, what's the, uh, now I can't even, a Shrikander and Desire. Like, essentially, he's going for Tennessee Williams, and he thinks this is going to be great. So, it's going to be a problem when his address is on screen. <laughs> Everyone will know. And they will come find him because he will be world famous. Cuts about making like less than two thousand dollars <laughs> Yeah. And how much of that was profit since they were paying to put it in the movie theater? <laughs> well, just to pay for that one billboard that you saw, right? That's gotta be more than two thousand right there. Oh yeah. I gotta double check I gotta look up what theater this movie it premiered at because I think it's the same one where um I don't think they listened to the show. Two friends of mine made a movie a few years back, and it was a big deal. They were going to put it in a theater. And I learned after the fact that you you pay to put it in a theater if you don't have a proper distributor. And so they were essentially (laughs) losing money to have to say that they had a movie in a theater. Mm -hmm. Is it the same? Is it the same? I didn't go see it in the theater. I had actually already watched their film because they asked me for, for my uh, opinion on it. So was I got it? to watch it digitally. Well, what was the verdict? Was it good? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Again, your friends don't listen to this podcast. I don't think you so, were no. kind enough to watch their movie. So, uh, uh-huh. the imbalance in the friendship there. Oh, yeah. Um, 
It was fine. It's for a little <laughs> indie movie that like was made on no money and had almost no cast. It was okay. It if they are listening, they'll know I'm talking about their movie, so I'll just be explicit. It, at the end, the climax involves a tennis match, and it was a badly filmed tennis match with players that didn't feel like they could actually play and hardly any audience. And so the climax of the film comes across really fake. Mm-hmm. And so overall, it I didn't know how they could fix that. But I'm like, at best, outside of filming new stuff for the tennis match, you need to recut that tennis match so that it is a lot faster and exciting and we care. Because we don't. That was my big advice thing. And I don't know if they changed it because I never watched the movie again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, those are good notes. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll take that into consideration. Well, I have, I have a note for Greg Sisteris. Oh. Uh, there, it's like second, uh, 19, I think. In a movie, don't touch your face in a way that could be misconstrued <laughs> as picking your nose. <laughs> and then, yeah. the very next thing is the, the crazy edit, you know, that it just cuts immediately to him as well, just from a different angle, without his hand near his face at all. Right. Well, that's probably, yeah, another, aside from looking like you're picking your nose, just the challenge to the editor that if you keep mm-hmm. your hands down, it makes a lot easier. These cuts seem mm-hmm. a lot more natural. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's thinking, oh, we've done, you know, we've done 30 takes. What are the chances that this is the one that's going to make it in? <laughs> well, <laughs> on the, on the two of them talking in the chairs, it might not have actually been as many takes because they had been in mm-hmm. acting class together and were friends. So this part probably came more naturally to Tommy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just something comes it. naturally to Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that does. I think that laughing yeah. comes naturally. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine it doesn't. Like he just wrote all of those in the script. Just here, I'm gonna laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he saw Fargo and heard that every every bit of weird speaking in that was scripted. He's like, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, Tommy in real life never laughs at all. <laughs> this is he's like, all. oh, she went to the hospital. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that is funny. Let me laugh here. Um, it's Friday, so we have a lot of business to go for. Any more mm-hmm. notes on the content of the greatest minute in cinematic history? <laughs> I, I've got a lot of notes on Johnny's pants. Okay. <laughs> I'm. Uh, That's a lot of pants. So <laughs> it's a, there's a it's a lot of pants. Like for folks that know me know uh-huh. me. I am a fan of the. The cargo pant slash tactical pant, pocket <laughs> pants. I like lots of pockets. But yeah. I don't think I've ever seen ankle pockets on pants. <laughs> Usually a cargo pant, it's like on the hip or thigh. This has got thigh pockets. There's, I. it looks like there's ankle pockets. And then I'm not sure. There's another, there's zipper at the knees. It's either a knee pocket or these might be those pants that unzip. Like the lower leg unzips and then they turn into oh, they shorts. Turn into shorts, yeah, yeah. But which there's, in two thousand three would have actually been they would have been a thing, not popular, but would have been. A thing. <laughs> they no, I, I <laughs> they would have been a thing. They existed, yeah. but they were never they were never cool. They were I had some popular. a couple years before that, but I thought they were quite cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Like I can switch to shorts at any time. I don't know where I put the legs if I'm out. I just said, well, there's all those extra pockets. That's to carry the legs. Right. Well, wasn't one of, one of the things on how Tommy got his money was like selling pants in Europe? Potentially, like if he, yeah. If he's selling cargo pants that have pockets at the ankles, like you could definitely make some money on that, no doubt. Now, do you know what's in his pockets? 
<laughs> he has. Lo- I'm afraid. What would you Lots like to guess? Can- <laughs> Candles. <laughs> it's just a pocket full of wax. He was a candle. Yeah. Lots of audio tapes. He like random. Like later on, when he is, he decides to start recording. He pulls the tape out of one of his pockets, and I'm like, "Why was that there?" <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Is that so what he the whole time? Mm-hmm. Well, to be fair, I do too. So. <laughs> <laughs> now Tommy has in his pockets uh, lotion bottles. Anti-wrinkling gel, purple <laughs> scrunchies, hair clips, and cash, according to Greg Sestero. What? <laughs> now, in the Disaster Artist film, they do show him just grab a handful of stuff and shove them in his pockets before they film this scene. And it's just because he, I don't know, thought his pockets looked better that way, I guess. Just like in real life, Tommy wears three belts because he thinks it makes his ass look better. He, he, does it? I... I... I haven't seen him without the three belts, so I don't know. You've definitely seen his ass without the three belts. <laughs> you don't have a point of comparison. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Not in person. Memory. Yeah. Again, going back to at the end of the day, drinking heavily to erase the memory. <laughs> I don't remember that part of the movie. I also suppose, according to Sandy Chaclair, he has the three pages of that day's script in his jacket pocket. Because he had trouble remembering his lines. Mm-hmm. In particular, his opening line from this scene. Notes from a midnight screening. Now, skipping ahead to notes from a midnight screening, of course, the audience says the opening line along with him. I did, I did not hit her. It. It's not, not true. true. It's, it's bullshit. bullshit. I, did I did not, not hit her. I, I did, did not. not. Oh, hi, Mark. Then when Mark asks... You think girls like to cheat like guys do? You get scattered people saying yes. And at the last screening I went to, and he said, What makes you say that? Someone said, He just had sex with your future wife. Uh, and then it got a little offensive at the last one, because it was just one guy screaming it. And he says, I don't have to worry about that, because Lisa's loyal to me. Someone just screamed, She's a bitch. Yeah. And it came across weird when it's one person saying it. When the whole audience says things like that, it's funny. <laughs> and Johnny's response <laughs> to the story, <laughs> What a story, Mark, Mark, the audience says along with him. Because Johnny's awesome. And it is a great story. Very funny story. (laughs) Now, I had a horrible theory just now. Is the girl... It goes back to what Sean was saying earlier about whether Mark wants Lisa to get hit. Is the girl Mark talking about Betty? And did Mark hit her? Ooh. Is that why he's being vague? Like, I knew a girl. That's why he knows what hospital she went to, too. And he he also kind of disparages her, saying she had a lot of... A lot of guy friends, boy mm-hmm. friends. A dozen that. guys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it is Friday. It's Friday, Friday. I know it. It all sounds like some bad movie. Uh, I know at least two of you have bad movies for the week. So who wants to go first? Uh, I can. Okay, Eric. Um, so... I haven't even seen all of this. I remember watching a good chunk of it when I was younger, but uh, Revenge of the Red Baron. Anybody know about this? I don't With, uh, think so. Starring Mickey Rooney Ooh. and Tobey Maguire. Wait, what? <laughs> so this is recent? So this was um, um late 90s. 1994. Uh, oh, 94. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so he's a yeah. kid. Okay. Wait, what? He's not a little kid. He's 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 not oh, really teen. The cover of the for the movie has a little kid on it, yeah. so I just guess it was him. Okay. 
I have not seen this movie. What is it? Mm-hmm. It's it's a possessed toy <laughs> by the ghost or what have you of the Red Baron. Yeah. Set in the nineties there. <laughs> Direct what the hell? The Red Baron returns in a toy plane to kill the former yes. World War One flying ace that shot him down. I guess Mickey Rooney is the, yes. the ace. Mm-hmm. Okay. He turns out to be kind of. <laughs> Produced by Roger Corman. Yeah, and supposedly it's might be kind of a sequel to a, a Corman, a previously Corman directed huh. book. Baron related from the seventies. I have not seen this movie. Uh-huh. I'm intrigued to know. And and the writer is um Michael McDonald from Mad TV. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had not heard of that. And it's the director, it's the only thing he's directed, but he was an editor for some interesting things. He edited Toy Story. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was the very next thing he did. Return of the Living Dead, The Blue Lagoon. But this is the only thing he directed. Uh-huh. Brian, you had a bad movie in my Yeah, uh, so... It is not a bad movie. Oh, oh how dare you? <laughs> uh, so my bad movie is uh, it's from 1982. Uh, it was a made-for-TV movie starring uh, someone you may have heard of named Tom Hanks. Uh, his first oh, starring oh, role... Uh, he is, it's yeah. called Mazes and Monsters. And yeah, so Tom Hanks is a college student. He's, he's got kicked out of the college because he was addicted to this role playing game called Mazes and Monsters. Cle- not, clearly not, you know, it's clearly distinctual, uh, or distinct from Dungeons and Dragons, of course. Very distinct. And yeah, so he he becomes addicted to mazes and monsters, mm-hmm. and he gets to this new college, and the uh, he's at a party, and this uh, he meets these uh, these other people who have their, have a party, and uh, convince him to join. And so the, uh, it's been a while since I've watched it, but my my big takeaway from it is you know, he become he starts hallucinating uh, uh, mm-hmm. through all of this, and he ends up. Going to New York, uh, to find, uh, you know, to find this place from their campaign and which he is confused with the World Trade Center. And so he ends up on top of the World Trade Center, uh, because that's where he thinks he's supposed to go and they have to talk him down and talk him, uh, you get him back onto the, you know, get him. Get him back to school because he's on top of the World Trade Center hallucinating. So you say that like it's a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've watched this movie again this morning because the movie is cheesy and it's kind of a mess. It's a TV movie from 1982, so it's got all the like budget issues anything then would have. But what I love about it is that it is a, it's at the height of like Dungeons and Dragons, like satanic panic uh, stuff. Right. It's trying to be this movie about how that's going to ruin your life and turn you, make everything go horrible. But most of the time, it is actually a really good display of how these four college students have actual problems in their life and are dealing with them fairly well by playing a game together. That's fair. It's like most of the movie, it's like, this seems healthy <laughs> until one of the, until one out of four has a problem, and uh-huh. we've already established that his brother probably killed himself. He had some psychological problems and had problems in school the year before, so something's already we know is wrong with him. But the movie wants it to be this like panic thing about how the game is what did it, and constantly upends its own premise. 
it, it almost seems like an, a, a more like a, a, a setting update, time time wise update uh, to uh, Stand by Me. Yeah, yeah, in a way, yeah. Yeah, you talk about four. Mm-hmm. four yeah, it's like what are the yeah what do those characters do if they're actually still friends in college? Uh-huh. Go hang out and play a game, or like the Stephen King also, but the book um, Hearts in Atlantis. Yeah, right. As the college students who just play hearts to get through their day. Huh. But, yeah, and I still want to, in playing Dungeons and Dragons, want to have a cleric character named Pardue just for Tom Hanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or better, the uh, JJ's character, played by Chris Makepeace, who's in Meatballs, already referenced, I think, two episodes ago by Sean, mm-hmm. plays a character in, in The Maze of Monsters, the game. He plays a character called Freelick the Frenetic of Gossamer, <laughs> which is just a lovely name. And I, I want to play a character called that. Uh, Sean. Do you have another bad movie for us? Uh, maybe. I have a movie that I I don't think is bad. I mean, I like it. And <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize other people thought it was bad until recently. Um, and this is one of those films that if I'm walking past a TV or I'm flipping through the guide and I see it's on, I'm going to watch it. And I'm probably going to watch it till the end. And it, it showed up in my in my TV guide or the on-screen guide recently. And I noticed it had one star, which confused me because I think it's great. <laughs> and the, the film is half baked, uh, oh. starring, uh, huh. was it? We've got, uh, Dave Chappelle, Guillermo Diaz, Jim Brewer, Hartland Williams, uh, Clarence Williams the third. It's a, a great cast. Um, a, a great movie. I think it's a great movie. And I'm like, wait, why is it showing up? And my guide is one star. And then I went to Rotten Tomatoes where the, the audience score is 81%, but the critic score, the tomatometer is 29%, which confuses me greatly. Um, and one of the reviews complains about the special effects where this is, uh, this is not, This is not the latest Star Wars production from Disney, obviously. The, the Star Wars, you know, this is not um, a Steven Spielberg, Jurassic Park type film. The special effects are not the point. I feel if anyone's complaining about the special effects in, in a serious <laughs> manner, I mean, if I was breaking down the film half-baked one minute at a time, I would I would point out the, the problems with the special effects. But just as an overall review, to mention it is like, clearly this person has missed the point of this film. And, and for those that haven't seen it, it's about a group of friends who their common bond is affection for marijuana. And one of them gets arrested. And then the rest of the friends begin selling marijuana as a way to raise money to pay off the bail to get their, their friend out of jail. And there's one particular scene. So Dave Chappelle plays a custodian who works at a drug company and they're doing experiments with, um, with cannabis and he has stolen some of, or taken, or given, at this point, he's been given a sample of some of the marijuana that they're working on in these labs. And uh, brings it back to his friends, and they smoke it. And they get so metaphorically high that they become literally high, that they raise up off the ground and they're floating in the air because <laughs> of the effects of this this potent cannabis and yes, the, the special effects are awful. You can see the bunching in their shirts and pants from the <laughs> harnesses that are raising them up off the ground. Absolutely, the special effects are not good for this film. But again, it's about a custodian who steals marijuana from the drug company where he works to so they can sell it to raise money 
to get his friend out of prison. You know, if you're, if you're paying attention to the special effects, you are missing the entire point of this film. So I don't know if this, um, you know, if it really answers the question that you're asking, Robert, because again, I don't consider this a bad film, but based on the reviews, um, many people apparently do. Yeah, it has 55,000 ratings on IMDb and has a 6.7. So it's definitely below average. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie though, so I don't know. Oh, you should, you should, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> I think you should, <laughs> but I'm biased. I mean, I would, I would put it like eight out of 10. I think this is a, you know, it's better than Memento. I would, I would say that. I would rate it higher than Memento. You mean Memento? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that what I said? Well, it's not like you said Momento. Memento. Maybe there was another film that wasn't good. <laughs> And amazing and yeah. awesome. The, the Christopher and Nolan momento. Yeah, I was afraid you meant that. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this week we had possessed toys, hallucinating college students, and experimental drugs. Mm-hmm. That seems appropriate, right after Chris R was in the movie. <laughs> now we know what what Denny has been doing with his time. Sean, who have you been? Um, I've been Sean, <laughs> and if you want to hear about uh, more movies that I like uh, better than Memento, you can go to catandshawn.org, and there I link to all my all my stuff, basically. Okay, Brian, who have you been? I have been Brian, and yeah, uh, you can, like I said, you can find me on Twitter at, at BoardATX, and yeah, I'm kind of a podcast hobo. I just go from podcast to podcast, you know, talking about movies in exchange for sandwiches. <laughs> People send you sandwiches? <laughs> that was Not yet, but he's waiting. <laughs> I was told there'd be sandwiches. Look at my lips as, I, as we speak. <laughs> got my mustard ready. You got your orders, Robert. And Eric, <laughs> who have you been? Yeah, uh, I was Eric Nash, and I'm not any longer. Uh, but uh, you should check out the Watchmen Minute, Almost Famous Minute, and Feels Like Weezer. But he's not the wrong one. People make it fun of the project, in this case, The Room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening, and remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Leave us!